All right, the NFL's version of madness about to begin. I'm Kevin Bowen. We're back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. Eddie Garrison is with me. NFL Combine Week has concluded. You know, Eddie, it always amazes me how on an annual basis you get to the Combine and these GMs get up there for the podium sessions and they literally just laud Indianapolis to the, you know, nth degree about how great it is. The Combine should never move. And it's like, Man, you'd think some of these owners of these GMs in other cities might say, hey, easy now. Mm-hmm. We want to bid on that combine. But I respect the GMs for being so candid about it. And, you know, For the national media to say it is one thing, but again, for these GMs that have some stake from their own ownership uh, for their respective teams to say it as well, just truly shows you what Indianapolis is able to pull off on a year-end, year-out basis. So we'll provide some combine thoughts today, but really the main part of the podcast will be about Uh, Ranking the free agents, putting them in tiers, green, yellow, and red. Green, I would bring back. Uh, Yellow, I could be talked into it probably either way. Red, I would say no. So it's an annual podcast we do this time of year and uh, has some relevancy because we're recording this Monday afternoon, franchise tag deadline tomorrow. Legal tampering began in downtown Indianapolis last week. Uh, It officially begins on Monday, (laughs) and then the new league year is a week from Wednesday. How are you doing, man? Doing well, KB. Uh, Busy week and a fun week last week, being able to uh, go out to the combine, you know, see these players, listen to these guys. You were there a lot. Yeah, I was. I was over there Saturday, watched uh, Anthony Richardson run a 4-4-4, 40-yard dash, which was... Something in itself. Uh-huh, certainly. Uh, I, w- I had to go before I could see um, C.J. Stroud just deliver, you know, Andrew Luck-esque 50, 60-yard passes down the field with, you know, nobody defending. Uh, but, yeah, overall, good weekend. It was a lot of fun. What about yeah, you? I enjoyed, you know, listening to the quarterbacks as well on Friday. I know it's a big part of this process. They are a very confident bunch, all of them in their own way. I would say Anthony Richardson's frame matches his confidence it's it's very imposing um cj stroud really outwardly um in in his confidence and i think teams want to hear that you know to be totally honest with you they want a little bit of an alpha from that quarterback position i i did want to sneak in one staff update i i expect the colts coaching staff to be announced this week you know finalized and announced the one big name i think we hadn't heard yet was the return of Bubba Ventrone, or who would fill in for Bubba Ventrone. It's a guy you're familiar with. Yeah, yeah. Notre Dame Special Teams Coordinator Brian Mason. Um, I'll I'll start here. We asked Shane Steichen on, and let's play that Shane Steichen pod, by the way, um, on this podcast. For those that missed it, Shane Steichen was on us. On with Kevin and Quarry, myself and Jake Quarry, last Friday from the Combine. Um, And we'll play that coming up here before Twitter questions. But you'll hear me ask... Shane about Bubba Ventrone. I get the impression that like there was probably some mutual or at least some Colts interest, I should say, in wanting him back. But whether that was Cleveland sweetening the title, sweetening the contract, and or providing a closer home base for him as a Pittsburgh native, uh, you do not see Bubba Ventrone come back. But Brian Mason, uh, Notre Dame's special teams unit was incredible this past season. Um, they were a playmaking unit. Uh, I think they blocked, I think in total it was seven blocks by six different players. That's remarkable. Yeah, it, you know, it was very similar, honestly, to a lot of what you've seen Bubba Ventrone do here. If not just control field position, but they were 
you know, making plays and creating big plays with that. Uh, their place kicking wasn't great, which, again, I don't think the Colts have necessarily had stellar place kicking in the Ventrone era. I tend to think that's a big-time player driven thing but you know Brian Mason really highly thought of he's a Zionsville native so you would think there's some appeal here uh to be in the NFL for the first time and be with the team you grew up rooting for you know he came from Cincinnati to join Marcus Freeman's staff and Eddie I think that's worth pointing out because you know I've said on this podcast before Chris Ballard thinks very highly of Luke Fickle has thought very highly of what Luke Fickle built at Cincinnati and of course we saw last year the Colts drafted a pair of Cincinnati players. You know, Alec Pierce got his initial start on special teams there in in Cincinnati. So um, I think that's where you kind of draw some connections to when you look at it. You're like, wow, a college special teams coordinator with no NFL experience? You know, I think at first people are a little bit like, hmm, that's interesting. It sounds like they're going to have another Notre Dame guy on staff, Chris Watt, who played for the Chargers when Shane Steichen was there from 2014 to 16. Uh, he'll be the assistant O-line coach. So I thought, you know, would we see a little bit more veteran assistant O-line coach with the inexperienced guy in Tony Sperano Jr.? It doesn't appear to be that way. And I'll reiterate what I said on last week's pod, Eddie, about the staff. Outside of Gus Bradley, and I know there were some reports from Wink Martindale and the Giants side of things that, and I should probably just say Wink, but there are some Reports there that the Colts kind of demanded Gus Bradley would stay here or said that, you know, Gus Bradley will be on the staff. If that is true, I'm not a fan of it because I don't believe that you force feed coaches upon yeah. uh, new coaches, um, especially when it's a scheme that I'm not like entirely in love with. Um, but if you take out kind of the defensive staff here in Indy, it is a very young, inexperienced group. Uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball and then there at special teams. But Mason's a fiery guy, typical special teams fire. Notre Dame players loved him. And, uh, again, a really, really big playmaking group this uh, past season in South Bend. Uh, there is no relation to BTW, Chris Watt, JJ, uh, all the Watt family. There, yeah, there is not. Um, yeah. I just I just knew somebody listening sure. would be like, is this guy, Is it, hey, is he related to JJ? Can we bring JJ? Nope, yeah, no relation. People probably would be curious Quentin Nelson and Chris Watt did not overlap at Notre Dame either they missed was it by a, a year yeah he was a grad assistant from 19 to 20 but uh or, or as a player he Correct. was a player at Notre Dame Watt and was drafted in 2014 you know I know Nelson has been very vocal to Chris Ballard about hiring his college O-line coach Harry Heastan before Harry Heastan just recently retired from Notre Dame um so it doesn't appear obviously that that will be the route that they'll go so you know, you don't see outside of Watt, you don't see a lot of Chargers Eagles flavor. No, the Steichen staff, which is also something that is a bit interesting. But like I said, we'll play the Shane Steichen interview coming up here uh, in a few minutes. Uh, any more Notre Dame talk you'd like to get in? Well, I mean, I'd there's love to a break down the basketball team right now and just there's... how disastrous of a season it's been and how their road to win five games in five nights starts tomorrow in the ACC tournament. And that I'm very glad that Mike Bray is leaving. Man, uh, you don't appreciate him at all. I I, I appreciate uh, unbelievable two decade run has offered me some enjoyment and fandom and cheering for Notre Dame basketball that I didn't know was possible. So I appreciate all of that. Uh, but he threw in the towel several years ago, 
and they were fortunate to make a run last year out of the play-in, and it's time for him to go. Well, the bingo card, you've got B and I. Let's see if I can get uh, <laughs> N, G, and O, unless you use that free space. Got to get Tiger Woods on yeah, here somehow. Uh, yeah, you want to talk know. Masters and Tiger here for the next hour? <laughs> I would love it. Uh, I know you would. Uh, let's transition now to the Colts free agents. Uh, I think there's three that are most notable that people will look at the most. The first being Bobby Okereke. Yeah, and again, we can get into a whole lot here. You know, from a green, yellow, red standpoint, um, Eddie, I, I guess, if you don't mind, I'll probably just start with the green. Um, and how we've done this in the past is this. Green, I'd bring back. And I'll explain why I would bring back. Yellow, again, can probably go both ways on it. And red is a no. This is not indicative of the best player. If you ask me who the best player is in this free agency class, it probably would be the guy you just named. But most likely to return... He's not there. You're referring to just the Colts free agents, correct? I'm talking to the Colts decision-making with their own free agents. That is exactly what we're doing here. Just wanted to clarify there. Yeah, and I'm think i glad that you said that. I would start the free agent list with Chase McLaughlin. I mean, you think back to last season, Eddie, and um, he was solid on his field goals overall. The extra points, I don't think he missed one all season long, and the stat that obviously jumps off the page is he was 9 of 13 from beyond 50 yards. When you think about a guy 70% from beyond 50, I mean, the Colts got into situations in years past where they couldn't even attempt one Mm -hmm. from 51, or certainly didn't feel confident in it. Uh, Chase McLaughlin's that guy that hits balls next to you on the range, and it might not look like the prettiest looking thing, but you know what? You get in there, and you look at the scoreboard at the end of the round, and you're like, oh man, that dude shot 71? And that's kind of how he gets it done. Mm-hmm. I would bring him back. I wouldn't rule out kicker at all. You know, I still think an undrafted kicker that's got some whatever intriguing leg, bring him into camp, whatever. But Chase McLaughlin would be first on that list. I would agree with you. The next guy is probably where I'm going to get some disagreement. Uh oh. And I would put Yannick Ngakwe number two. Is this another green? This is green for me. You know, shades of green is what we're starting to get into a little bit here. Um, You're going with like the neon vibrant green there with uh, Chase? Yeah, neon vibrant, sure. Now we're getting into, I don't know, maybe a little bit of uh, army-ish green? Sure. Would that um, be next? I don't know. I need to look at Rosie's artwork and see if I can <laughs> observe what the, uh, <laughs> what, what the levels of green look like. If you look at Ngakwe and just simply looked at age, 27, Sacks nine and a half from last year and games played fifteen. That screams bring back. Yeah, that screams like oh my gosh, we have been dreaming for this really. Yeah, from a Colts defensive end and yet Eddie he hasn't been able, or I should say the consistent pressure is just not there because when you dig deeper into the sack numbers, the pressures and the hits number, it's not at the level that even nine and a half sacks is at. And sure. He lacks three-down ability, and this past season I felt like he lacked fourth-quarter pressure for him, which is what you really need. A couple things to keep in mind. Clearly the Colts love Gus Bradley's defense. So if you think about Gus Bradley's defense and what he wants from it, he's wanted Yannick Ngakwe. Yeah. And I don't think there's another Ngakwe really type on the roster. And if you look at free agency, I don't think you're going to find a whole lot there either. So... That's where I kind of think to myself, 
you got to bring him back. And I know I'm saying it in the in the sound. What would of be the price tag for yeah, you? I wouldn't want to do anything probably more than two years. And I don't know if he would be. He'd probably be looking for something a little bit more than that, considering he's never really been a free agent. Has never been a multi-year guy in free agency. Um, Eddie, I think the other thing you have to keep in mind with Ngakwe is he is available. This past season, he got that throat injury. Remember that? The throat injury late in the year. Missed missed the uh, final two games. Before that, he had missed two games in six NFL seasons. So you Mm -hmm. add all that up. That dude has played seven years in the NFL. He's missed four games. Yeah. Quiddy Pay's missed seven games in two years. If you're going to put more on the plate of Quiddy Pay, you might be doing that, and he might miss a month yeah. during the season. Yeah. And as much as I look at Dayo Adengbo as an early down defensive end, I think we've got to get away from Matt Eberflus's system versus Gus Bradley's system. Eberflus's system, to me, screamed a lot of 260, 70-pound DNs, let's stop the run at all costs. Bradley, the hope there is in that Leo position, you have more of a rusher. Um, I think he also battled some other stuff besides just the throat injury. So you get into this situation, Eddie, at times in free agency where the answer becomes who else. And I think that's where I'm at with Yannick Ngakwe. Who else? Because, again, I don't think it's the deepest edge group. It's never a very deep edge group. It's Kaiser White from Philly. Um, these are guys that are younger than Unique. Uh, Marcus Davenport. The two, like, name ain't Cleland Farrell. And I just think those guys, well, Davenport and Farrell especially, I just think they're much different body types and rushers than Ngakwe. Yeah. So, I understand there's pause, I understand there's concern, but man, you'd be putting a whole lot on Quiddy Pay's plate. And obviously, Eddie, the expectation is you're not drafting an edge rusher till round two, and we know full well the history of this franchise with Chris Ballard. Just because you draft a guy in round two and he plays defensive line doesn't mean he's going to produce. Yeah. Because Terrell Basham was a bust in round three, and Kamoko Terry wasn't re-signed, and Tyquan Lewis has been okay, and Ben Banigou is probably the biggest bust uh, of the Ballard drafting era. So, also a free agent. Also a free agent. Probably will not appear in the green category. Just spoiler alert there on that front. So I, I understand, Eddie, that people will probably disagree with this, but I would put Ngakwe number two on the green list. Interesting. Ballard did speak very highly of uh, Quiddy Pay and he did Dio Adengbo, and he's been pretty lukewarm when he's talked about Ngakwe. So I understand that, and this is again not a what I'm predicting the Colts to do. This is my thoughts on how I think they should approach free agency. I would have to go back and listen to his interview with JMV. He John asked him Ballard about Ngakwe, and he kind of like stumbled over his words he goes you know I just did and then he stopped when he was talking about I was like oh oh yeah again I don't uh, think it's a ringing endorsement when Ballard opens his mouth about Ngakwe and I understand that I mean to be fair again I I understand that but you look at the durability and that to me is hard to overlook considering the injuries that you've had for other guys on your roster at that position and then just other names in that group. Uh, next on the list, I, I'm going to put Paris Campbell. I would agree with you there. Now, I'm very curious to see what his market looks like. Eddie, it is not a good wide receiver free agency class. And what do we see last year in free agency? If you can run at wide out, you're going to get paid. Campbell can run, 
So how do teams view him? And this could be said for several guys on the list, but Campbell, I think, stands out more than others. Eddie, I tweeted out a photo last week. I guess it was four photos. It still is amazing to me that you have one-eighth of the NFL head coaches from the 2018, 2019, and 2020 Colts staffs. And none of them are coaching in Indy. Frank Reich in Carolina, Nick Sirianni in Philly, Matt Eberflus in Chicago, and Jonathan Gannon in Arizona. I bring that up to say Paris Campbell was with those four guys for two seasons. So when you start, you know, we always do this, and we'll do this with Shane Steichen. Philly's got a long list of free agents. Probably more on the defensive side of the ball, but they still have some offensive names. You you make connections that way. You know, where did Al-Kadim Muhammad go last year? He went to Chicago. I think a lot of people think Bobby O'Karake could be in line for the Bears. So, I bring that up to say, boy, could Campbell have some interest from his former coaches that are now around the NFL? And what does that look like? You know, I mean, he had just missed, what, 30-some games his first three seasons? Then he plays every single game last year, over 600 yards, over 60 catches with, you know, below subpar quarterback play. I wouldn't give him some mega long-term deal, but an injury incentive, one- or two-year deal, I think you would do that. And again, he also complements what you have at receiver in Michael Pittman and um, Alec Pierce. Chicago. That's where he's heading? What about Carolina? As your mid-popcorn over there. How buttery is is that popcorn? It's not really buttery. It's sea salt and uh, kettle. Okay, nice. Yeah, nice. very good though. Yeah. Um, Carolina, maybe for me, Frank Reich. When you look at that though, you have you've got DJ Moore, and they traded for Lavisca Chenault there at the deadline. Now I don't know where how Frank feels about Lavisca. Right. He had a couple decent games. You know, he's that slot guy that you can put back and kick return, punt return, and I know run. how Frank thinks of Paris Campbell. Yeah, he's fast. He likes him. Yeah. He likes him. So, so interesting, yeah. I'll be interested to see that one. Um, I got two more in, in the green category, and I do have a linebacker, but it's not Bobby Okereke. Oh, I was going to say EG, yeah. And this purely comes down to finances and making it all work. And how I view these two in speed and, and Okereke is, I don't think, I think the Colts have invested too much at linebacker already. And you just, you can't trade Shaquille Leonard. Like, Contract medical wise, he, he to me he's almost untradeable. No one's going to do that. Where I look at EJ Speed is, he just played the most special team snaps of any player for you last season. So that is something that I think is worth mentioning again. He does have some Leonard physical traits. You know when you talk about the length and you talk about the speed and all of it. I mean even the background a little bit. You know, there is some athletic makeup that is similar to Leonard. And I don't know, Eddie, I I just feel like when Speed's got an opportunity on defense, especially in recent years, I think he's flashed. I think he's flashed a little bit. So if you're talking a third linebacker, I can't pay Bobby Okereke $12 million a year mm-hmm. or whatever he's going to get. I've already invested in Leonard. I've already invested a little bit in Zaire Franklin. You don't play linebackers that much anyways. I would try and bring back EJ Speed. That is my thought process at linebacker. I think Okereke has priced himself out. I would put him probably atop the yellow category. Um, 
the issue with that is I feel like the Colts, or especially Leonard, but the Colts think that you know the second surgery for Leonard has helped himself out big time. Well, that's great, but you're never going to really know until he gets on the field in May and June and you know, yeah. training camp unfolds. So you're kind of backed into a corner here. If for some reason Leonard can't go or whatever hits a wall, Eddie, I think you trust Chris Ballard. And by that, I mean this. There's no position he's drafted better than linebacker. Bingo. He has hit linebacker virtually every single time, and he's hit it every every single round. You know, Leonard in two, Okereke in three, Anthony Walker and uh, EJ Speed in five, Zaire Franklin in seven. I mean, he has found linebacker talent all throughout a draft. So what you're saying is the fourth round this year is the round. I don't know if it's four, but five or six. I was just saying, because sure, you yeah. second, third, fifth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely not first. Um, I would trust Ballard's evaluation at linebacker, and that's the route that I would go. i try to bring back speed, because I, I do think it's worth mentioning the, the, the special teams aspect. I agree. I mean, I think that is key when you've had a lot of turnover with that unit. Now, Eddie, is there a team out there that looks at EJ Speed and says, hey, for all the reasons Kevin Bowen is saying right now, we think we can project you into our starting lineup. And it'd you be a don't bit, have to play special teams. It'd be a bit of a you know a bigger projection, but again, I think Speed has shown some stuff on film that he could deserve something like that. So those are all things I think you've got to keep in mind there with um, with EJ Speed. And the final, yeah, the final green. I will go to the oldest member. I think the oldest member of the defense. Uh, that would be Rodney McLeod. You know, I was very impressed by how McLeod handled everything. One-year deal. Um, he was content initially with that reserve role. Then Nick Cross struggles in Week 1, struggles early in Week 2. He gets benched, and Rodney McLeod is your starter the rest of the season. Eddie, a couple questions. Does Rodney McLeod still want to play football? Anytime you get a guy at 32 going on 33, you ask that question. Two, what's your safety death chart? Yeah. Is it Rodney Thomas and Julian Blackman? Yeah. If Kenny Moore walks, or you cut him, or you trade him, is Julian Blackman a nickel option, which we saw last season, late in the year, when Kenny went down? Where are you at with Nick Cross? What's Nick Cross going to look like in year two? Pretty much a redshirt year. And it's a, it's a solid free agent market when it comes to safeties, too. It's pretty loaded. Yeah, which, you know, I would view that as McLeod probably, if he would want to come back, this would be an area that makes sense. The defensive yeah. staff, of course, is bringing back. You know the, the the same group from from last season, so I would put him. You know, I think he's still. It's good to have a veteran voice in that safety room, particularly when you know you invested a lot in Nick Cross. You traded back into the third round for him. You want to continue to bring him along. Um, I want to get to Twitter questions, but a few of the yellow names I've talked about. Okereke, you can talk me into it. Where's the money going to appear from? Mm-hmm. And where's the snaps going to appear from when everyone's healthy? You know, does Franklin now go back to the bench? Does you know you get a bench the guy that just was your franchise leader in tackles? You know, yeah, wasn't Okereke the one that they kind of put on the bench when Leonard played those seventy some snaps last year? Those are all some thoughts. I would probably bring back Tyquan Lewis. The issue, Eddie, is just I mean, this dude's played five seasons in the NFL and only one he's made it to double digit games in a year. Mm-hmm. He's been Paris Campbell. Of your defense. I agree. But when healthy, he's versatile. He's smart. He's consistent. He's trustworthy. Smart is a perfect word to use. Cerebral. Um, definitely. Like, 
I like what he brings. But again, it's a torn or a ruptured patella for a second straight year. You know that. I mean that that's no joke. Um, Ashton Doolin, a free agent. I you know core special teamer, sixth wideout. Sure, why not? And you know the last one that I have in the yellow category, Eddie. And I don't know if this surprised you because I know he was. Certainly one that had a high, well, the Colts had high expectations for him entering the year and it did not pan out. I could be talked into bringing back Matt Pryor. The thought process is this. At guard or at tackle? You're a very smart individual when you say guard. Matt Pryor has always been more of an interior body. Always been. Six-round pick out of TCU, the thought was more interior. He can, I guess, tackle flex in a pinch. Obviously, we saw last year, left tackle in a full-time role, didn't work out. Remember last year, he like retooled his body majorly, did a lot of things differently to try and train. He's been primarily a right side of the line guy. They asked him to be on the left side. You know, he's boxing left-handed, trying to get used to his hips, you know, over on that side. It was a disaster. We all saw it. What if he got back to his normal body? What if he got back to what he's used to? How his body, how his muscle memory is, and he's more of that guard sort of reserve for you mm-hmm. maybe could help you out at tackle I still view offensive line as an area where you need to go out and get an interior starter and probably a swing tackle mm-hmm. that's kind of how I view O-line right now heading into free agency but as a ninth guy sure why not again I know some people would probably disagree with me on that red uh, names Dennis Kelly Tony Brown Brandon Faison Ben Banigou and Matt Hawk you know, Faison and Brown have Gus Bradley history, so there you go. Boom. As John Madden would say. That was a good one there. Boom. Um, should we do Twitter Twitter questions? What about Shane Steichen? Oh, Shane Steichen interview. Yes, gosh, I totally scrapped. I just saw this saw this headline that Philip Rivers is was contacted by the 49ers and Dolphins about coming out of retirement late in 2022. He's expressed desire to return to the league. Did they have a bad year running the wing tee down there in Alabama? I just don't see it. <laughs> I, I could not agree more with that. Um, Shane Steichen time. This was him with us at the Combine on Friday. Myself and Jake Query. Shane Steichen is all ball. But I felt like we got a couple laughs out of him, which is a minor miracle big. at this point. Shane Steichen joined us. Here it is. Speaking of Shane Steichen, let's head to the Payless Liquors hotline right now. The first-year head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, our first time getting a chance to chat with him. He is Shane Steichen. Coach, congrats. Welcome to Indy, and uh, appreciate the time for what is a very busy week for you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Appreciate you guys having me. Let's start with like what a typical day looks like for you, Combine Week. I know you're finalizing your coaching staff. Walk us through yesterday for you here at the NFL Combine. Yeah, so yesterday we got a lot of formal interviews with, you know, a lot of the players that are, you know, at the combine, different positions. We're going through those interview processes, uh, interviewing those guys. And obviously they're quick interviews. You know, you get 20 minutes with these guys in the room uh, and then you go for a couple hours there. And then obviously you got the workouts uh, on the field and just studying those guys, watching their body movements, seeing how they run on the field. I'm curious, Coach, when today when the players or the prospects meet with the media and, you know, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Richardson, you know, they all meet with the media. Do you guys in any way, shape, or form, does that part, does the way that they handle that situation, the questions, the throng of media, does in any way, shape, or form that get factored into the scout of a player? 
Yeah, I think so. I think you find out a lot about those guys. Any way you can evaluate them, obviously on the field is the biggest thing, as we know, but just how they carry themselves. I mean, especially, you know, the top quarterbacks, when you become, uh, you know, a quarterback, get drafted early in the draft, uh, you know, you're, you're, it's, a big, it's a big responsibility, you know, to lead the charge uh, in any NFL organization. Um, but, yeah, how they hear, you know, handle themselves in front of the media, how they are outside the building, how they are inside the building with their players. Uh, and, again, you know, I said this the other day in my press conference, is just the vetting process and really getting to know these guys and what they're about and how they carry themselves on and off the field. One of the other things you mentioned, and again, Shane Steichen is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline in that uh, press conference, was you talked about your interview process for assistance, and you used mm-hmm. the word grueling. Uh, when I think of grueling, I think of working with my co-host Jake here yeah, thanks. Uh, for 15 hours a week. <laughs> what, what, like, what did you mean by that? I guess, can you, can you a little peek behind the curtain? Like, what is a part of a grueling interview process as you build the staff? Well, I think you got to be very detailed uh, with everything you do in this profession. You know, you want to hire the right people. You obviously you want to hire really, really good coaches, but you want to hire the best fit as well. You know, uh, from a personality standpoint, how are they going to fit with the staff? How are they going to handle their position? And then really the details of that position, the fundamentals, how they teach the fundamentals, how do you run a meeting, what's your preparation throughout the week, and then really dive into, you know, some things. It's different positions are different, but like the scheme part of it, how do you scheme during the week? What do you look for? What are tendencies? And then put them through that process on the whiteboard with film study, uh, all those little different things, and try to, you know, turn over every rock uh, to make sure you get that right. Coach, for you personally, you know, I've had situations, we all have, has had situations in our career where you start a new job, and the way that I always say it when people are like, are you excited for your new job? And I always say, you know, I just can't wait to get to that point where, like, I'm not sure what day of the week it is because you're just in a routine and, you're, you know, for you personally, it's been, you've hit the ground running. I'm sure it's been a whirlwind. What part of this process for you has been more overwhelming than you thought? Um, honestly, I, you know, I, I've had a, a, you know, a vision of what I want to look like, obviously building it and, you know, hoping for this opportunity, uh, you know, you know, started to, you know, think about it, obviously when I, when you become a coordinator, you know, those off seasons, that summertime is really when you start to kind of put together your vision and kind of your first, you know, 30 days on the job, what's that going to look like and how you're going to go about it. And obviously first is getting the staff together. Uh, and, and making sure that's right. And then once that gets done, then it's really into the players and the draft process, the free agency, all those little different things that you need to take care of. And so feel good where I'm at right now. Uh, got some good guys in the building. And then once that gets uh, solidified, then it's on to the players. You know, like, like any coach, and Shane Steichen's our guest, by the way, on the Payless Sigurds Hotline, like any coach in the NFL, by the time you get to head coach, you've taken a circuitous route to get there, both as a player and a coach. When you really stop and think about it, the coach that you have either played for or coached under who has the greatest amount of influence that you find yourself going back to to assess situations is who? Is North Turner. You know, I, I got a ton of respect for North. He gave me my first opportunity in 2011. Um, and just the way he handled it as a head coach and just the staff meetings and how he ran staff meetings and what was important to him. Um, and then also just the, for his offensive philosophy and how he saw the game and went about it, being around him. You know, again, I was started off on defense, 
and then in 2013 got to switch back on offense with, with him when you know he took the coordinator job at Cleveland uh, and then really that's when I really worked hand in hand with him uh, in 2013 and saw how he ran it uh, offensively and the things he did to prepare uh, the players week in and week out and just ha- how to handle you know coaching staff and all those different things but he did a tremendous job and got a ton of respect for him. You know it's interesting coach because when we talked to North Turner last week he told us that you know he, he mentioned Darren Sproles right away. I mean, it was like the first name he mentioned that in terms yeah. of what he was able to do with him. Naeem Hines w- was kind of that kind of guy for Indianapolis. I realized that was before you were here when when Hines eventually ended up in Buffalo. But could you use that kind of a player? Is that a kind of guy that you look at and you say to Chris Ballard like that's a wrinkle in this offense we could use? Yeah, I think with anything, anytime you got an exceptional player that does something well, uh, whether it's a receiver, tight end, or backs, I think you can always find value in those type of guys. Um, so, yeah, if, if those guys come up and we find those guys that can add value like a Sproles, uh, absolutely. Shane Steichen is with us here. Again, his first NFL combine as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Shane, when I think back to your stops in Philly and, I guess, San Diego, L.A., you guys had great skill talent. In your history in the NFL, obviously your quarterback resume speaks for itself, but what have you learned about supporting that quarterback with elite skill? There's no question about that. I think when you can surround you know, your quarterback with elite skill talent, you can be an explosive offense. So as many pieces that you can put around that guy to make him successful, uh, it's going to make him a better player, the quarterback specifically. Uh, but then also just the team. You know, I mean, when you've got a lot of guys and you can gel that together and create you know, what the vision that you want it to look like offensively, uh, you can become an explosive offense. We had Nick Sirianni on with us earlier this week, and he obviously was very abusive in his praise for you as a play caller. Um, Do you have any sort of concern about what game days are going to look like for you in calling the plays and managing everything that goes on outside of just the immense responsibilities that come with calling the plays? Yeah, I think that that, that work uh, has got to be done throughout the week, you know, just especially situations that come up in the game so everyone's on the same page. I thought we did a heck of a job in Philly, you know, having our meetings throughout the week. And then we had a big one on Friday uh, after the players were gone and just went through all those situations, you know, into half, into game, you know, third down calls, fourth down calls. Uh, we went through all those things. And so I think if you have a detailed plan going into it, uh, you're going to be prepared for those situations on Sunday. But, you, again, you got to have a detailed plan, who's speaking, who's talking in c- certain situations. Is part of that plan someone in the booth that's telling you about challenges and time management? Yeah, again, that's all exactly. There's there's certain guys that have that responsibility, and we're going to work through all those things this off season and get it figured out exactly how we want to do it. What's the one thing that you look at, Coach? Because I'm assuming that, that you've had to do some run of the laundry list on the Colts organization or the roster. What's the one thing that you feel most needs a jolt from you? Um, you know, again, I, I'm not going to get into really specifics. I just think, you know, the vision that I have for this organization, take it day by day and, and grind it out. And I think, again, we got to be the biggest thing for me is the consistency part of it. You know, here's what I believe in. Here's what we got to get done day in and day out. And I think if you have the vision of what you want it to look like, and you do it the right way, I think you have a chance to be successful. That, that was a pretty good try for me, though, wasn't it? I mean, that was that was decent, wasn't it? That was solid drive. Yeah. <laughs> he kind of Dikembe Mutombo'd you, I think. That's, with, that's with, all we with, can with do, that. right? <laughs> we got to, you know, that's all we can do. Hey, um, I'm curious, Coach, 
Shane Steichen is our guest. You know, throughout this process, there was, you know, the, the, the interviewing. I mean, we know how long you were here. You, you were in the building. I mean, you know, you, there were a lot of great candidates. What did you learn about either Jim Irsay or Chris Ballard or the Colts that, that was most of intrigue to you? Um, I just think they're very passionate about the game and, and what they want to get done here. And that was very intriguing to me, just, you know, their passion for the game and, and what they want to get done. And it kind of aligned with a lot of the things that I had a vision for this place. And when you've got guys that are passionate about what they do, uh, I think you've got a chance to be successful. Just a couple more from us. Appreciate your time on this Friday morning, Shane. Again, Shane Steichen is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You mentioned finalizing your coaching staff. Um, was Bubba Ventrone a guy that you wanted to bring back? Yeah, Bubba had Bubba's a good coach. Um, you know, he had some opportunities out there, uh, and he had a great opportunity with Cleveland. Um, you know, he got the assistant head coach job in special teams, and, you know, I think he's going to do a hell of a job there. Were there any – stipulations in terms of staff for you to take the job when you were in the discussions with them uh from them yeah no they you know obviously i got you know as the head coach i get to pick the staff and you know i had a ton of respect for a lot of guys that were in this building when the quarterbacks again shane seconds with us when the quarterbacks get on the field tomorrow is there a specific like will you want to be on the field watching them do you care that much about throwing in shorts and a t-shirt what, what i guess are you looking for tomorrow afternoon when the quarterbacks throw really just their functional movements you know their footwork their fundamentals is a big thing and you know as many many times as you can get eyes on these guys you know not just quarterbacks but all positions just to see their functional movements and skills it, it definitely helps the process because obviously when you go through this thing you want to you want to do as much as you can to see these guys in person see the different movements the different skills they have but again i said this the other day it's you know the quarterbacks sometimes you know they're throwing to these guys that they've never thrown to. So, like, when they miss a throw here and there, like, that's not going to be a determining factor, you know, routes on air. You know, guys are going to miss throws. But really just to see, you know, the arm strength, the accuracy, the footwork, uh, and just see, you know, just see their just see their body movements. Coach, I think what, what we have talked about on this show, certainly I have, that impresses me about your resume is that you have worked with and, and really helped flourish quarterbacks of different styles. Do you, from a coaching standpoint, say to yourself, I want a quarterback, which is the bigger priority to you, I guess? Finding a, a quarterback that is coachable to the style that you would like to see them play or being adaptable as a coach to coaching the style that they're most comfortable? I think it's the second one, being adaptable, because, you know, all these guys are going to be able to do different things, you know, from whether they're more of a scrambler type or they're more of a pocket passer um, you got to look at all those different things and really the success, you know, they've had. Are, are they winners? You know, a lot of guys that I've been around were winners. Uh, they won football games. You know, Jalen, Justin, Phillip uh, were big-time winners. Uh, and just really the, the way they went about their process and getting prepared every week and how much do they love the game. And that's part of the process that we go through when we're looking at all positions because there's going to be a lot of talented guys, you know, in this draft, whether it's quarterbacks, wide receivers, you know, running backs, tight ends, you know, DBs, linebackers, D-line, like well, how much do they love it? Are they going to give it everything they got to be the best they can? And I think if you have an opportunity, you know, some of these guys that play for 10-plus years, they all got one thing in common. Like, they, they, love, they love the grind. They love being a part of the grind. Uh, and then I think that's what separates a lot of these good players from great players is how they prepare week in and week out for games. 
Shane, last one from me. Um, about a month ago on this show, myself, Jake, my co-host, and Mark, our producer, we did a uh, snake draft to pick who we thought the new Colts head coach would be. Um, I was fortunate enough to pick you. Uh, the bet was that Mark and Jake would owe me a six-pack of beer, or whoever won would get a six-pack of beer from the other two. Uh, shows you the type of people I work with. We're a month into this. Uh, no six-packs of Shane beer. Shane Steichen should pick the beer. Have shown up. Wait, and so I will ask you, Shane. Did you guys, did the beer get, did you get it done already or no? There are no six packs of beer on the desk of mine. Um, so if you were the one heading into the liquor store near Eagle Creek or 56th Street, what would be the six pack of beer of choice for Shane Steichen? I'm not a huge beer drinker, to be completely honest, but if I had to pick one, I'd pick a Corona. Nice. Huh? Nice. Well, nothing wrong with that, right? Hey, I had a couple yeah, last week in Corona, Florida. Corona the probably more for the summertime, wintertime. I, I can't tell you. I know a lot of guys drink IPAs. I'm not a big yeah. beer drinker, though. Uh, I, I'm with you. IPA, though, in the summer, is it's like maple syrup, w- right? Would you go a glass of wine? <laughs> or are, you, are, are you going a little liquor? What, what, would be the, uh, the, what would be the drink of choice? For me, uh, I'd sip on a thing of bourbon. Okay. All nice. Right. I like that. All right. I've got two other real quick questions for you, Coach. The first is this. The most crowded restaurant in Las Vegas and every UNLV alum from the sports world is waiting to get a table. Larry Johnson, Randall Cunningham, Icky Woods, and Jerry Tarkanian are waiting outside. Which one gets the table? Gosh, you know what? That's a hard question for me because I haven't been there in a long time and there's so many good restaurants there. Uh, I really don't have a great answer for you. I'm Spread them all out, right? Because I think there's a lot of good ones. Okay, last one is this. The movie Shane is my dad's all-time favorite movie with Alan Ladd, the old Western. Please okay. tell me you've at least seen it once. And you know what? I'm not going to lie either. there. have not seen that. <laughs> Are you familiar with it? Nope. Wow, there you go. There's your homework. That's the first film you've got to watch. You don't have any well, other well, film to watch. Your, what's next. your favorite movie? That's a great question. Shawshank is really high on the list, man. Really high. Great, great I, movie. Great, great movie. one. There's a good one called Grand Canyon that I'm the only person that saw, but that's also – I like to say that's my favorite because then I sound smart. There you go. I love so it. What about you? What's your favorite movie? Gosh, there's a lot. I don't know. I, I don't have a favorite one, to be completely honest. Either. There's three answers I haven't given you in a row. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> all ball, right? That's, Isn't that how Chris Tyler right. described Shane Steichen earlier? Yeah you, yeah, you want to talk some more football, I'll give you some answers there. <laughs> it is direct. It is football 24-7, 365. Shane, congrats. What an awesome opportunity. I can imagine what the last few weeks have been like for you, especially this week with your first combine. So appreciate you making time for us on this Friday morning and look forward to future conversations. Of course. Appreciate you guys having me. All right, that was Shane Steichen right there. Again, up on the podcast. We did have Ryan Grigson on the show as well on Friday, if you're really itching for some content. Did you get into some Colts chatter in there? We we did. We actually did get a little bit of Colts chatter in there. Um, So, yeah, Ryan Grigson joined us on Friday. Now, was that before or after Jake got his credential to get there? Well, that was was after Jake uh, forgot his credential on Friday morning. So the 7 o'clock hour. Myself and Mark Dighton did a nice job, at least selfishly. I thought we did a nice job trying to m- maneuver through that. Uh, Jake showed up at about 8 with his credential in hand, thankfully. And then uh, Shane joined us at 9 at Ryan Grixon at 9.30. Um, I've got about 15 to 20 minutes, Eddie, before i got to call it a day. But i got time for some, uh, for some Twitter questions. Dad duties? Dad duties call. I totally get it. Well, I'm not a dad, so I don't totally get it, but I understand what you're... Uh, you've been very curi- curious about me as a father, and I greatly appreciate that, and you will understand fully one day. That's the plan. Twitter question number one. 
Wake Spike, hello. I love having the combine in Indy. I was downtown yesterday, and the dynamic of enormous humans next to these tiny agents <laughs> hyping them up is so great. I know we only get one more year as of now, but I saw some players saying it's I can't even see this word. Antiquated? Antiquated? Antiquated. Okay. That's what I'm going with there. I did, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know why I didn't think of that, but antiquated. Uh, where do you two weigh in on the necessary, uh, the necessity of the combine? Do we need it, or should the pro days and college tape be enough? I think the combine is great, and I know I'm biased and I'm selfish, but I think what it helps you on a couple of things. It helps you get everybody on the same page medically. Yep. I mean, think about some of these schools. It's not the same sort of medical attention that an Alabama has. Mm-hmm. So it gets everybody on a level playing field medically. It gets everybody on a level playing field even from a measurable standpoint. <laughs> we all have been there. I tell the story quite often. We had a running back in high school who was 5'11 on the football roster and 6'4 on the basketball roster. <laughs> Dude, he gained five inches getting out of the shoulder pads, you know? I mean, <laughs> it's now, the helmet. Now, he did play 6'4 on, on the basketball floor, but um, – I just think it gives all these teams and these prospects an opportunity for just a great interview process. I mean, you get to come here and you get to show out. And if you handle the process well, even if you don't have Anthony Richardson type testing numbers, if you can check out in those interviews, that's going to be a huge deal in helping you out. So, um, again, don't touch this event. Engage fan interest more in the stadium. Continue to fill up Lucas Oil. But the combine needs to stay. In Indianapolis, I know that you know players' association might disagree a little bit with it, but I think it can be very, very beneficial for you as a prospect if you handle it in the right manner. I do too. I mean, it's just so convenient for everybody—the players, the agents, you know, the media, everybody, fans. Like, it's just so convenient for every everything. And most importantly, Eddie, it's convenient for the GMs and players and coaches. I mean, that's what really matters in this process. It can be an efficient four-day event. Sure, there's some stressful nature, but life in the NFL is stressful at times and long hours. Um, I think it's really important to continue to to do it. Uh, this is from Henrik. Uh, he sent this in to me this morning. Uh, he said, hopefully all was love with you and Kevin. Another question for the pod. Last week, you guys said that the Colts should look in, uh, look at wide receiver in free agency. Are there any other positions that you target already in free agency before the NFL draft? And are there positions that the Colts should look at in the draft besides quarterback? P.S. All the best to you and your family from snowy Finland. Henrik! Henrik Stenson from Sweden, not Finland, but I believe those are Scandinavia. Is that right? Scandinavian countries. Oh, boy, I could do Don't question me on my geography. I, I could have got really exposed there with that statement. Henrik, thank you for that. Good luck with the snow. Hopefully some nicer weather is on the horizon for you. Eddie, it's a bad wide receiver free agent class, as we said. I, I would like to bolster it in free agency. I, I don't know if you can, yeah. just because, it, again, it's such a bad group. I look at corner in the draft, considering Gilmore's age. I look at center. Okay. I could be talked into that. I could I, I could be talked into that. I, I probably want a little bit more of an interior starting option ready now for the young quarterback if you're gonna go that route. So I could I you could look at it two ways. You could pair the center with a quarterback for years to come, or you can get the veteran in there to kind of stabilize some things for the young QB. I would look at somebody who's like 
a Landon Dickerson, I think that's his first name. Um, the Alabama dude? Yeah, for, that is now in Philly. God, he's already a free agent? No, he's not a free agent. No, uh, no, 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 he's not a free agent. Um, he was drafted and played at Alabama as a center. Got it. But went to Philly and they be, converted him to left guard. Yeah, I know the right guard there, Samalo. I think he is the free agent. Yeah, he is the free agent there. Um, you know, linebacker we talked about earlier, draft veteran safety. So I think free agency there. You know, you you have enough young safeties. Um, and the edge debate I think is really interesting. I know it's a pretty good edge class in the draft, but to me, again, if you're letting Ngakwe walk, I'd want someone's a little bit more proven. I mean, yeah. you're gonna go play tomorrow, Eddie. Cordy Pay and Dayo Dangbo. Those are your DNs. And, I mean, I don't know who would even play behind them as DNs for you. Um, homeboy from, you know, late in the year is gone of Fadia Deniabo. <laughs> Banagoo's a free agent. Taekwon Lewis a free agent. I mean, you've got some decisions to make, especially at defensive end. I would agree with you there. Jason's question is that the Colts have to get the quarterback position right for the franchise and for Ballard's job. Is there any concern that there may be so much emphasis put on the quarterback evaluation that the uh, other player evaluations suffer? I know it's the most important thing, but they can't half-ass the rest of the job, correct? Yeah, I I certainly understand where Jason is coming from with this. Um, You know, first off, I don't think when it's quarterback – you ain't half-assing anything, you nope. know. I mean, like it just, and I know it's not exactly what Jason was asking, but you have to spend time on the quarterback. You've got to spend gobs and gobs of time and resources because that's how much the position means. That's how much you pay it, etc. Look, they've got tons of people on their staff, and if you look at just a map of the United States right now, Eddie, where do most of the quarterbacks reside that will be taken high in this draft? In the southeast. Yep. You know, from a Will Levis, Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, Hendon Hooker standpoint, four of the top five guys at that position are going to come from one conference. Yeah. Well, good news. The Colts have area scouts all over the U.S. that can, if you're the West Coast scout or you're the Northeast scout, you've cross-examined some of these quarterbacks, but you've got other guys in your regions that you really like that play other positions. So I I, I don't think you're going to be, you know, neglecting other spots it's a you know scouting department's 15 people deep i mean it's it's a big big group of people there so again i understand the question but i'm not worried about it quarterback means that much colton wants to know your thoughts on the wide receiving room i feel a receivers are just meh and lacks anyone that will scare a defensive coordinator just seems like we have a handful of wide receiver twos yeah it's it's a fair point from colton i would agree on the meh part about the wide receiver meh for those that are like what the hell is that sound you're making um i think you need one more and honestly eddie even if you bring back campbell like aren't you in the same boat of like what if paris campbell now is back to the injury situation he was in for the first three years of his career um that would be worrisome to me you know alec pierce i liked a lot of what i saw but it's also you know mostly a one-trick pony so you know can you develop a little bit more there um michael pittman is he a top is he a number one wideout in the Colts? Yes. Is he a top twenty wideout in the league? Probably not. You know, and I, I I've been high on Campbell, but or uh, excuse me, I've been high on Pittman. I want to see more out of him though, in trying to ascend to that next level. So Colton, I would agree. Um, the wideout and tight tight end rooms, both of them, it's just like a lot of projecting, and you've really got to see some growth. 
but I would like to support that rookie quarterback with a little bit more if if you can. Much like Chris Ballard, I am high on the dry uh, the tight end room. Uh, internally, yeah, 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 and I, and I understand that. And you know, Eddie, it's a very deep tight end class draft wise. I think you need to go out and find more of an inline blocker. Um, that would be something that I would look into. But I understand why people have some intrigue tight end wise. Some of those tight ends in this upcoming draft, though, they are some freak of nature talents. They are. That's the some of the sizes they are. Yeah. Old Dominion kid, and then uh, Washington from Georgia. Right, and obviously my affinity for Notre Dame, Michael Mayer, speaks for itself. I know he didn't wow anybody at the Combine, but that dude is just going to be a hell of a football player for a decade in the NFL. Patrick says, we're all familiar with the top four quarterback prospects, but how likely would it be for Ballard to stick and pick a non-quarterback at number four? Maybe an elite edge rusher, offensive lineman, or wide receiver, and then potentially trade back into the first a snag a guy like Hendon Hooker. Yeah, Patrick, I, I'd be pretty stunned. I mean, I guess if you sit there at four and three, you're off the board. What you know, what would you be stunned about them trading back into the first no. for Hendon Hooker or taking a non-quarterback at four? Not taking a quarterback with their first pick. Yeah. Well, I would say I, all of it would surprise me. I, I don't see it happening. I And frankly, I just think, again, Ursay could very well demand it. And you guys have heard me say this all along. I am very team trade up into the draft. I think there's a possibility quarterbacks go one, two, and three. I want to be the one choosing. Yes. Even if you don't think there's one that necessarily is a major, this guy is a 96% hit, whereas the next guy is an 84 and the next guy is an 82. Like, you know, close that gap a little bit more. I guess it's kind of a big gap when I say it out loud. Even if you think the gap is closer. I don't want to run the risk that all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I'm being like, that's what's left on the shelf? I don't want that to happen. And I, I get that there's some cost in doing that. That's part of it. But I don't want to run the risk of sitting there and being like, God, I really wasn't wanting that guy. And then you delay it for another year, and who the hell knows what's... Well, yeah, I think everybody's just like, oh, you just tank for next year. Everything will be fine. Again, I don't think Arizona thought they'd be drafting three. Yeah. I, I don't think necessarily the Colts thought they'd be drafted before. You never know how a year is going to play out. And you don't know what Green Bay, like a team like Green Bay, you don't know what they're going to do with A.A. Ron Rodgers, and you don't know how Jordan Love would play if he is QB1. Uh, let's sneak in uh, two more here. All right, let's go to Clyde. Despite the connections with Dub Bears, do you see a scenario where Chicago doesn't first deal with Houston and leverage their ability to essentially trade down twice? First with Houston and then with Indianapolis. Why wouldn't they? Oh, I think it's. I mean, if I'm the if I'm the Bears, that's exactly what I would look into doing. Now, Eddie, I think the Jalen Carter news coming out of the combine is something to keep an eye on. Ah, uh, yeah. I think we talked about it a little bit on you know Thursday's pod. But again, how do you view that? If you're Chicago, do you view that as boy, we can't take him at one or three? Um, so then all of a sudden he's he's gone from being a top five pick or do they say will anderson is too precious and we don't want to give up the chance to miss out on him i can't get past three because if i get down to four now all of a sudden you could have a team trade up and get anderson under that those circumstances so um, if i were chicago and i felt good about jalen carter four would be where i would want to be at and if i'm the colts i'm trading to three because under that scenario, you would think two quarterbacks go 
either Anderson or Carter goes, and you get the other one. Um, but yeah, if I am Chicago, I'd look long and hard about trading to two and then trading again to four. Um, and if I had to guess, that's how I would see it playing out. But again, it's just a guess, and maybe this Jalen Carter situation changes that. Because I think if the Colts were to trade up to three, I think that would up the asking price from Chicago to Houston. And, and you know what, Eddie? I, I, I want to focus on this for just a second. The Derek Carr domino dropped, and maybe we'll have to hold off on on the rest of the Twitter question. So we'll, we'll, we'll end with this. Derek Carr to the Saints. We saw that today. Sounds like Aaron Rodgers potentially to the Jets. Eddie, those are two teams that were not going to be drafting a quarterback this year in the top ten. Certainly the top five. The Jets, um, excuse me, the Saints don't have that pick because it's um, uh, Philly has that pick. And who has the Jets pick this year? Uh, I thought the Jets had their pick in the top ten. No, the Jets aren't 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 dropped, drafting in the in in the top ten. Basically, what what you're getting with both of those is you're getting those two teams. If they get the veteran quarterbacks like we assume they will be getting, obviously the Saints are already getting one, that takes them out of what you thought could be like a Carolina if they were to get Derek Carr, or if Vegas were to enter the mix for Aaron Rodgers. You still have those teams sitting there at 9 and at 10 to where, or excuse me, at I think the Raiders is at 7, Carolina's at 9, they can move up. Look at those two teams right behind Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Seattle at 5 They come back and they draft again at 20 Detroit at 6 They come back and draft again at 18 Both of them are in a Perfect position with a veteran quarterback To make a move at QB And pass that torch Those are the two teams I think we need to be talking A whole lot more about Agreed. And we know Carolina is just naturally going to be Uber aggressive Because that's how their owner rolls And I think that's how they, they could view this After Frank Reich just went through the carousel that he did here in Indianapolis. So, those I think are teams that can keep an eye on. The Jets draft 13, that just seems too low for, in my opinion, um, for them to get into, you know, serious quarterback territory there. When you look at um, where they're at, the sort of capital that they have, they don't have like an additional second, don't have an additional third, those sorts of things um, to look at. Carolina's a team that has an additional. Second, in the Christian McCaffrey trade. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about Seattle at 5, Detroit at 6, Vegas and Atlanta 7 and 8, granted they don't have the ammo, and then Carolina at 9. Seattle. 5, 6, and 9, man. I mean, Seattle comes back and drafts at 20. Detroit comes back and after 6, they draft at 18. Those are some teams to keep an eye on. For me, Seattle's another one because they have that pick at 5 and they have that. Yeah. Seattle five and twenty, Detroit six and eighteen. Again, those are some ones to watch. All right, Eddie, I got to run, man. Um, we'll play it by ear with free agency uh, and how things will unfold. You know, this time next week, we'll, we'll be four hours into legal tampering, and we know how that goes. Oftentimes, that's they have agreed to terms. You know, this and that. Uh, so that can happen in a hurry. We'll see how urgent and how much Chris Ballard's actions will change here after years of not being super active early on in free agency. Everybody have a great week. We'll talk to you.